1: Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Jamie Williams, Wealth Advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building and also in the Village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies. We also have clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. Visit ellenbecker.com for more details. We have a very special guest today. We are joined by Jim Temmer. Jim is the president and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Wisconsin. Welcome, Jim.
0: Thanks, Jamie. Great to be here and to be able to speak to your listeners.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, Jim, we are really glad to have you back on Money Sense. I know Karen had you back on the show in June of last year. We were kind of in the middle of COVID. We had so many things going on. You had a great discussion. There was a lot of important topics that you had touched on, much of which we weren't able to cover in that entire show. But Here we are, you know, almost a year later, and there are so many important topics that we can cover today, and uh, we're so glad to have you back.
0: Well, again, I'm very pleased to be here. uh, Informing the public about what we do at the BBB and consumer education and keeping people away from scams is really a main
1: part of what we do. That's right, and you know, it's something that as I continue to work with individuals and families and small businesses, it seems to not be getting any less uh, of a thing out there for people um, in fact it's something that we talk about here in the office quite often just in the sense of what we can do not only to protect our own clients and ourselves from scams but also those uh, out there just from the sense of every day you're hearing about something new or innovative unfortunately you know to use that word in that that context is kind of sad but true but nonetheless we want to make sure that we educate the public and keep people informed so Jim, before we get into a vast array of different things we want to talk about today, can you give us a sense of the Better Business Bureau and really kind of what your core mission is all about? Sure,
0: you bet. Uh, The first Better Business Bureau opened its doors back in 1912. So we've been around as an organization for over 100 years. That first one actually was up in Minneapolis. And we've been active here in Wisconsin and in Milwaukee specifically for over 80 years. So we've got a long history here. And what we do is our main mission is to increase trust in the marketplace we do that we set standards for marketplace trust we encourage best practices by engaging and educating consumers and businesses we celebrate marketplace role models we call out and address substandard marketplace behavior and we really want to create a community of trustworthy businesses here in wisconsin and actually it's international all of north america has better business bureaus We accredit businesses, of course, you can always find that accredited business seal on a website or on someone's door or their truck. Now that doesn't mean they're the best business in town, but it means you can trust them because we are about increasing trust. So, you know, if you want to get a painter or a plumber or an accountant, you can get all sorts of bids out there and you do that, but wouldn't you rather work with someone you trust than someone
1: you don't really know about? Yeah, most definitely. I, I see it everywhere. I've always said, so, wow, that, that's an important element of what represents small business and that whole trustworthiness. You know, Jim, I was curious because prior to gaining some additional understanding of the Bureau, how is it structured? Is it is it, it's not part of a governmental agency. It's more, you know, I think that's a misnomer, right?
0: That's right. Even though it says Bureau in our name, which it does, we are a private nonprofit 501C6 membership organization. Uh, There are about 100 of us across North America. We're all independent. We have our own boards of directors, our own budgets, our own staff. But as we ask businesses to abide by standards, BBBs have to abide by standards as well. So there's an umbrella group, the International Association of Better Business Bureaus. All right, we don't get a dime from the government to do anything. Our programs, however, are very beneficial to all the public. So, right, we kind of see ourselves as an independent third party between buyers and sellers, again, trying to increase trust. And businesses support us because if you have a great business with high ethics, that's what you want other businesses to be like, too. So we believe in self-regulation of businesses. We've got a board of directors made up of business people from throughout the state. Um, And what we really try and do is have high ethical standards that are self-enforced by business. Right. We don't have any actual power to adjudicate matters, to go out, you know, it's a slap a lawsuit on somebody, but we can put information on their website so consumers can see it. That helps consumers. It helps good businesses. The only people it could hurt might be bad businesses. And that's just the way it goes. We hope that they improve what they do.
1: That's kind of the idea, right? I mean, when you stop and think about reputation, you know, there's so much there that, by bringing out some of the facts of where people have experiences, um, you want to think, of course, that most of those scenarios are are founded or have some truth to them. And and I know that, obviously, you know, there, there's two sides to every story, but hopefully the the Better Business Bureau helps drive you know, some of those those facts and truths to the, the matter. So just on that topic, though, I know that Ellen Becker has been a, a promoter of the Better Business Bureau for years. Karen and the team here have all been very, very fond of the work that you do. So so thank you for that. It's great to work with a quality firm like this. So we got a lot to talk about today. And I thought we would kind of pick up where we left off from the last time you were a guest. And one thing that I've seen over the years through my career is everybody is open to risk or some sort of scam. I don't think that there's any one particular area or demographic that is kind of immune to this. Um, people often, I think, believe that the elderly are probably more at risk than than anyone. So gaining an understanding of what to watch out for and what demographics or individuals are probably more targeted than others is probably important. Can you give us some sense of who and what are some of the things that are going on out there right now? Sure.
0: Well, Jamie, you got it right when you said
1: anybody can fall for a scam.
0: We have a great tool called Scam Tracker. It's available on our website. You can just do a search for scam tracker. And it's an interactive heat map where you can look into any zip code across the country. You can zoom down into that and find out what scams are being reported. So maybe you've got a relative in Maine or in Orlando, Florida or in Seattle. It doesn't matter. You can really see what's going on and then you can communicate with them. Maybe it is an elderly relative, but maybe it's not. Our research shows, believe it or not, the number one group to be scammed in the United States are people 18 to 24 years old. Now, the reason for that is because they do almost everything over their phones. They shop on their phones. They're uh, social on their phones. They do everything on their phones. And there are so many fake websites out there. Uh, Actually, last year, fake websites were our number one scam. And again, when you think about it, we know that online purchasing, because the pandemic was up over 30 percent, so online purchase scams were up, too, because of all the fake websites and knockoff merchandise that's out there. But we like to think of scams, again, as fall, older people falling for them. They do. And actually, older people tend to lose a little more money. But younger people fall for scams at a higher rate, because almost everything they do, there's a scam targeting them.
1: Sure. I know I can imagine with all of the technology and people using, you know, their smartphones and just trying to do things quicker and more efficiently. And now we're in a an age where I don't think many people I know even carry physical money anymore. It's all yeah. done through PayPal or, you know, their debit card is attached to through their phone or what have you. Um, you know, but on that point, I had an experience actually it was over 20 years ago, believe it or not there was a client of a bank that I used to work for that called, he was embarrassed that he had fallen victim to a a fake website. And it was one of the big box electronic stores that was promoting cheap televisions, you know, flat panel TVs Mm -hmm. were kind of a new thing back then. And sure enough, we had to go through the process. And so that dates back over two decades, that was probably easier to identify than of course, today we're into a whole new realm.
0: Well, there are scams around the globe. Many scams that uh, end up here in the United States actually originate overseas. A lot of the telescams originate overseas. A lot of things, uh, romance scams, dating scams, things like that originate overseas as well. And people lose billions of dollars a year in the United States to scams. You know, you use the word scam. It sounds kind of like a little crime or it's unimportant. It's like a pickpocket. It's actually like a million pickpockets out there uh, picking pockets every single day. So we get so much money taken out of the legitimate economy that it has a huge impact. So all of these things are important. And that's another thing with Scam Tracker. We take that information that people report to us and we share that with law enforcement, with the FBI, consumer protection agencies. If we get a bunch of same telephone numbers reported, we can take action on that. So it really is a great source to get information and to report scams. And unfortunately, a lot of these times, like I said, if it's overseas, maybe you uh, wire money or something, unfortunately, it's very, very difficult to recover. And some people lose large amounts of money. But the average loss is, you know, maybe about $140. So, but anytime you lose money, you're hurt. But when you're scammed, even if you don't lose money, people feel kind of taken advantage of, they feel unsafe, they've wasted their time, they're worried, they get anxious. So there's a lot of secondary effects to scams, even if they don't get your
1: money. Our guest today is Jim Temer, president and CEO of Better Business Bureau. Jim and I are talking about a lot of different aspects of identity theft and in particular scams that affect individuals. We're also going to touch on some other areas that probably relate a little bit to the business community as well. Jim, why don't we take a short break and we'll get back into it where we'll start talking about some of the other more specific things we have seen as of late. Welcome back to Money Sense. This is Jamie Williams, Wealth Advisor with Ellen Becker Investment Group. Our special guest today is Jim Temer, President and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Wisconsin. Jim and I have been talking about identity theft and certain types of scams and things that people have fallen into, some of which have been around a number of years and others new. Jim, one of the things that we wanted to touch on today was just the concept of identity theft and how impactful it can be. What is your sense of how how people Kind of typically fall into a situation where they might become victim to identity theft?
0: Well, identity theft has changed over the years. We used to tell people they really had to secure their documents, right? Uh, if you had medical records, if you had tax papers, something from your bank, your credit card, they would have account numbers on it. Uh, you had to take care and shred it and stuff like that, which is still all true. There are dumpster divers out there who will go after your personal papers and steal your identity that way. But now more than ever, like everything else, it's online. Uh, There's information about you out there all over the place. And we see scams that go from kind of innocuous, right? The Facebook post where they ask you, um, what street did you grow up on? Or what's your favorite color? What was your first pet's name? Well, a lot of those things are security questions when it comes to accounts, bank accounts and other things. Or uh, there was one lately where people were told not to show their vaccine card on Uh, social media, because it has your address on it. There are algorithms out there that put together as much information as they can gather about individuals trying to get to the tipping point where they can start accessing or opening accounts in that individual's name. Of course, your social security number is key to all of this. And again, that security has changed, not to date myself, but I went to UW-Madison as an undergrad, and everybody's student ID number was their social security number with a nine at the end of it, right? Like No one could figure that out. So they'd post your grades outside the professor's door by social security number. So anyone could go there and harvest every student's social security number if they felt like it. Nowadays, I don't think they do the same thing, but we have to still be very careful with that number. And you don't always have to give it out when asked. If you're signing up for a gym membership or something's happening at your kid's school, they're always going to ask you for that social security number. But the more times you give it out, the more apt it is to be stolen and misused. And while I mentioned schools, I'll just bring this up. A lot of times we don't think about children's social security numbers, but to a scammer, it's gold. You have a social security number that probably isn't going to be checked for 10 to 16 years maybe until that kid gets a job or, you know, goes off to school or whatever it is, applies for a credit card. So you can do all sorts of stuff over those years. So I would advise your children have social security numbers. You can do a credit report on them as well.
1: Yeah, you bring up a really good point, especially around the difference between paper, like you mentioned, shredding and things that people used to have in terms of sharing information. For now, it's all cyber based. We talk about cybersecurity regularly. You have the web, you have the dark web, you have all that information. There's like this vast space out there. That information flows. Jim, on that end of identity theft, if someone falls victim to it, is there any particular path they should take in order to try to remedy that?
0: Well, I advise people, and unfortunately, somebody who works with the FBI once told me that it's not a fact of if your identity is ever going to be stolen or your credit card numbers are ever going to be stolen, but how many times. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's true. And the best thing you can do is monitor what's going on with your accounts. Look at your credit card statement closely every month. Look at your bank statement, your checking statement, even your telephone statement, and stay on top of these things. And if there's a charge in there that you don't recall, question it. Sometimes scammers will start with deducting 99 cents from your credit card or $1.99 from a bank account, and they just see if it goes through. And if, if it does, the next month, maybe it's $59 or it's $500. But, they try that right away to kind of get uh, their foot in the door but be very leery of charges you did not make or you're not familiar with don't just put it off and say well it's not not much money i don't really care uh and if you do think your identity has been compromised or your credit card information obviously contact the credit card company immediately think of if you lost your wallet or your purse what would you do you'd contact the bank you would contact your credit card companies Uh, You can actually contact the credit bureaus and put a credit freeze on your account. That means nobody can open a new account in your name. So there's a lot of things you can do that way. But the key is we don't know. Um, I had twice, I've been, my accounts have been compromised. I at Home Depot and at Target. uh, So you can tell where I like to shop, right? But (laughs) both of those times, my credit card numbers were stolen and they were used to purchase other items. One was like 3,000 pounds of concrete in California and two airline tickets from Spain to South America. Luckily with a credit card, you can dispute those charges and you don't have to pay for them. Some debit cards do not have the same protection. So if you are purchasing online, we highly recommend you do use a credit card.
1: Absolutely, and I I believe that there's some regulations that cite you only have a certain amount of time in order to report it so that you're not liable, right? So um, on that end too, I got a random phone call from a cable company and they said, yeah, somebody used your information and opened up a cable service in your name in a community I used to reside in. And I was just floored. They had my information we were able to go through ever since that moment. I went, I took your advice and I actually went through and put credit bureau protections on. So that that's a wonderful suggestion.
0: Jamie, another thing uh, besides just checking your information, is making sure your bills are still coming. Sometimes when somebody takes over your identity, they change the address on all sorts of things. And they may be getting bills that you normally would get every month from your credit card or someone else, and they don't come anymore. And it's not, hey, great, I'm not getting a bill. No, you still are getting a bill. It's just going to somebody else pretending to be you. So if you usually get a bill every month, and all of a sudden you're not getting it, follow up immediately.
1: It's a bit disheartening. You you have to stop and think about what is going on. Why are these people, these bad actors coming forward and doing this? Is it often that people are brought to justice or is it more a byproduct of if you're lucky?
0: Well, like I said earlier, unfortunately, a lot of these scams originate overseas, which makes law enforcement and recovery very difficult. A few years ago, the FBI worked with some foreign policing agency and they brought a large group down that was doing the IRS scam. You know, all the, the calls going out saying, oh, you know, the police will beat your door in five minutes, you owe the IRS money, and of course, we'll take payment in, uh, in gift cards, or, you know, <laughs> always something like that. And our IRS scam calls dropped dramatically for about a year. But then somebody else filled that void, and now they're up and running again. So sometimes it does happen. You know, uh, we have local scam artists, some of our door to door people that are. Pretending to give you a good roof or tree service or a blacktop, you know, some of those issues, again, they're hard to hunt down, but some of those have been brought
1: to justice. There's so many moving parts, to it's like trying to catch an amoeba, right? Just can't get your hands on it. So our guest today is Jim Temer, president and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Wisconsin. And Jim and I are talking about a number of topics related to identity theft. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about small business. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Jamie Williams, Wealth Advisor here at Ellen Becker Investment Group. My guest today is Jim Temmer, President and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Wisconsin. Jim and I have been touching on a number of topics as it relates to identity theft and different things that people should be watching out for. You know, Jim, one of the things that I I know for sure, nobody really likes to be taken advantage of. Often when they are, they feel vulnerable. They don't necessarily want to admit it. Maybe they don't even want to share. Is there any emotional attachment to how people respond, you know, when they are taken advantage of?
0: Oh, of course. Uh, They feel, first of all, they may feel ashamed or they may feel uh, less than they should because like, oh, I fell for that. I should have known better. I I never should have fallen for that. You know, it's my fault. Well, that's wrong. You know, you're the victim of a crime and people get so ashamed that they don't like to talk about it and they don't like to report it. So only possibly 15% of scams might even be reported. So all the numbers we talk about, you could almost multiply it by eight or nine times to try and find the actual numbers of these things. But we have to get over that. And one way to do it is to talk. Like I said earlier, you know, who would think that 18 to 24 year olds would be more likely to get scammed than elderly citizens would be? But they are. There's no shame in being scammed. Someone took advantage of you. You know, they do try and get you to be emotional and not think logically. There are a lot of reasons why scams work. And if they didn't work, these scammers wouldn't do them anymore. But we do have to break out of that shame cycle so we can share information and report it and help other people to not get scammed.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, when we think about identity theft, we primarily think about it as targeting individuals. You know, I've been seeing more examples relating to small business where they're now becoming more victimized just based on a lot of different things that could be happening within their computer networks, within their, you know, their image, you know, things of that nature. How challenging can it get? And and what examples of small business scams or theft are you seeing out there right now?
0: Well, there are small business scams all over the place. We mentioned identity theft for individuals. That happens with businesses as well. You may have a business with a very trustworthy uh, reputation and a name, and some scammer will take that name, maybe use a slightly different address or even use your address, create their own website, their own email address, start sending out invoices to people that are fake, and then if the other businesses figure out they're fake, they're contacting your business, the name who the mm-hmm. scammer stole and saying, why are you sending out fake invoices? Or there is a company and I think it was Racine, BCO uh, Logistics. Somebody was using them claiming they were holding all sorts of things, boats and RVs and cars uh, that people could buy, you know, on Craigslist or whatever. Well, they were just using this saying, Oh, that's where they are. You could look at it on Google maps and see a big warehouse but it wasn't anybody holding on to boats and RVs and cars. Um, another very popular business scam is the business email compromise. Mm. So say that uh, I'm the CEO of the Better Business Bureau. My name is Jim Temmer. So somebody has my email. They send an email to our accountant saying, hey, I just signed a contract with this new vendor. Please put $10,000 into this account. Well, mm. I never sent that email somebody else. And this is happening all over the place all the time uh, to profits, nonprofits, all sorts of places. There was a church in Ozaki County that lost over a half a million dollars in one of these scams uh, because someone had inside information and they were building a school. So, and someone sent them an email and said, hey, you know, like they were from the contractor, we changed our bank account. Here's the new information. Or with people buying and selling houses and escrow, all that cash flying around, all those checks at the last minute. There are emails sent out. No, I changed my bank. You have to be very careful with any of that going forward. We'll check information. And if it comes right down to it, pick up the phone, be old fashioned and talk to somebody. If you get an email that's a little different than normal, your boss calls you by a different name, you know, like if someone said James to me instead of Jim, that would kind of be a red flag. Pick up the phone and call and say, hey, did you authorize me to do this or not? And they'll say, "Probably yeah. And they'll be grateful that you called and checked.
1: Yeah. You know, there's big money at stake here. I know some of these scams you hear about. I think the average I read was somewhere around 130 or 150 dollars, um, where where people can be taken advantage of. That's just kind of a general average. But when you think about it, I read that you know some of these people are buying boats and wiring money for tens of thousands of dollars. That's someone's hard-earned money.
0: <laughs> you you bet
1: that's their livelihood at stake here. And it's just its just amazing to think that uh, it, it can sound legit. It's seemingly that there's always some sort of story behind it, that there's a heart string there. And then people are then using that as part of their narrative to create a bad scenario.
0: You know, scammers will try and find the most vulnerable people or the people that need something in a hurry. Actually, military members and military families are high in the list of people apt to be scammed because they move around a lot. And the scammers will take advantage of that. The largest amounts of money we see lost on a general basis are romance scams. You know, people that don't really exist out there. And we've seen people lose life savings and it's so sad and they know darn well they're taking advantage of these people and they just continue to do it anyway.
1: Which is just absolutely fascinating because that's at the advent of, you know, some of these dating sites and a lot of different of these, these different social media outlets that people are looking to for. um... You know,
0: know, they will start even by sending you a small gift or something, but if Mm -hmm. people try and get you, say you're on a dating platform and people get you off of that and they say they want to just text you directly, that's a red flag because those dating platforms monitor this kind of stuff. Bottom line, many things, never ever send cash to somebody you don't personally know or have met. And if you have doubts or you have questions, Talk to a friend, talk to a family member, see if they think it's legitimate. If you're just thinking it in your head, like, you know, and a lot of this stuff to be blunt are things, the old saying is, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Mm -hmm. It probably is. You know, Um, you aren't going to be able to get that new car for 1500 bucks. That fantastic person on the other end of the computer might not really be that interested in you. I mean, you have to really understand that there are bad people out there trying to separate you from your money.
1: Absolutely. And just taking a few extra steps, I think some additional due diligence can go a really long way, whether it's an individual situation or a business. Recently, had, you'd put out some guidance for small business owners here uh, earlier this year uh, that would alert people to some red flags. Um, so I'll, I'll go through a couple of those right now. So if a small business receives the request to verify orders that weren't placed, If you receive a phone call from someone trying to verify an address of your business that isn't associated with your company, you receive invoices for something other than what you do, like storage or something you didn't purchase, or you are a victim of business email compromise. Those are types of things that you really want to look out for. I'll share one additional example. Um, When I was in a, a capacity as a commercial banker, we had a client who owned a printing company and he had a small staff of just a few people that would you know obviously come in and help him with a number of things well it turns out his bookkeeper was paying her bills with the company checkbook right alongside the businesses so if you think about it you know um, all of the utilities and some of the other things she had mirroring accounts she would send in one check and write two account numbers on the bottom of the check it took him over a year to figure it out because he didn't have the right controls in place. And he was taken for, you know, the tune of, I think, 50 to $60,000 it was something enormous. So it, it can really take on a lot of different forms and, you know, it's just really fascinating to think about that um, as being something that we have to worry about. But if we do take that due diligence, we will, we'll do it. Jim, any thoughts? I know two factor authentication has become a very important thing for a lot of people in the last, say, 12, 24 months since I've started using it for a lot of things. Have you seen that help?
0: Yes. Any and all of those kind of things help. Um, have unique passwords for all of your accounts. Change them when they're supposed to be changed. Make them difficult passwords. Not all of these things are followed by everybody. You know, don't come up with the one, two, three, four for your password, um, mm-hmm. but also change them and keep track of them because you don't wanna have to keep going back and setting up new passwords all the time. But it's better to be a little uh, frustrated with all of the different passwords you have to have than actually lose your identity or lose some money. So it's that kind of work that you have to put in on the front end. The two-step authentication is great. You know, if you put your password in, then they're gonna send a text to your phone and you have to put that code in. Uh, That kind of stuff is really good for monitoring and, and protecting some of your accounts phishing attacks, you know, people claiming that they're somebody they aren't, they're looking for information from you. Um, businesses can have training done with their people because whatever business you're in and however much you spend on firewalls and cybersecurity, it's only as good as your least well-trained employee who can let somebody in and they'll get in a back door and they can do whatever they want. So there's always the human element that's involved, but train people up Get them ready to go, and hopefully that'll help you out.
1: We are joined today by Jim Temer, President and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Wisconsin. And we're talking about identity theft and common ways that businesses and individuals can be taken advantage of, looking for some insight as to how to avoid that. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. This is Jamie Williams, Wealth Advisor here at Ellen Becker Investment Group. Today, we're meeting with Jim Tammer, President and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Wisconsin. Jim and I have been discussing a number of things as it relates to protecting yourself around identity theft and various scams that are out there. But we've talked about individuals. We've talked about consumers. I want to talk a little bit about the emotional side of how people become affected in the sense of receiving either messages or various solicitations and how they fall into that. You know, personally, I get 100 emails a day. I mean, it, it could be maybe less or more between my personal and my my office. And, and every once in a while, I will get one that catches my eye a certain way that says, is this real? And, you know, thankfully our firm, you know, if it's important with a, with a client situation or our, you know, we have securities in place in, in our office here, but not everyone is used to that. So, I mean, are you seeing an uptick in in that type of activity?
0: One thing common to all scams is they don't want you thinking logically. They want you to react emotionally, right? So maybe it's a can't-miss-business proposition. Uh, You want the Irish sweepstakes. Or the flip side of that is the IRS is going to come to your house in five minutes and you're going to be arrested or... Your grandson is in Mexico in the hospital and he needs some cash in a hurry. And where this is really effective is say that you are out of work and you're struggling to make ends meet and you are offered a job that claims is going to pay you 10 grand a month, you know, to work from your basement, you're doing something. Uh, You might be apt to fall for it or it's a get rich quick scheme and you're really looking for some cash, you know, you're in dire straits. So people who react emotionally or, you know, there's a knock at your door. And again, a guy says, hey, I was in the neighborhood. I got some extra material. I could blacktop your driveway for half price of what it normally is. But it's got to be now and it's got to be cash. So they start putting the pressure on you. Even charities, fake charities are out there that will use pressure to try and get you to make a donation. Uh, Telemarketers try and make you pressure. Anytime you're feeling that pressure. That's not a good sign. You can always back off from it. I tell people, if you get unsolicited offers, email, telephone, knock at the door, texting, don't answer it. You don't have to answer your phone and actually don't answer your phone unless you know specifically who's calling because scammers can spoof a telephone number. So it may look like it's coming from the FBI or the BBB or the West Dallas Police Department or whoever, but it could be a scam. Let those calls unless you know the person go into voicemail. They're most likely going to be just scam calls anyway. If you don't want to answer the door, you don't have to answer the door. If an email comes to you, be very careful about clicking links in it because maybe it says yep. it's Amazon and you want to. Um, you have to look at your account for something and you click the link in that email and it takes you somewhere different. Say they do claim that, well, go back to some kind of statement or bill or things you've received in the past from Amazon and then go to them on their website and look at your account. Uh, we Energies, you know, there were people scamming We Energies emails coming out saying, of course, you know, you're going to be disconnected, this and that, and click here for information and it could download malware into your computer. So there are so many things, but if you just think it through, slow down, take a step back, don't get pressured, you should be okay.
1: Absolutely. That's, I think, one of the biggest things that I find is this type of activity through the cybersecurity space. I I, I think that's one of the areas that everyone can protect themselves. Don't store passwords on your computer. Make sure you're on a secure network, putting in the right type of uh, malware and or antivirus software and updating it accordingly. Um, I think it's one of those an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure type of measures. No one wants to spend the money that, you know, on these things to it does become part of the budget because it's costly, especially some of the credit bureau monitoring services out there. But I can tell you, you know, from personal experience that when I make a call to release the credit freezes on my credit bureau, because I'm doing something, I feel really good because I'm in control and no one else is. So that's often something that is important to keep in perspective. Allen Becker has a number of things that we do throughout the year. We write in our newsletters, we host seminars, you know, we certainly want to support the Better Business Bureau. We are in the business of security and confidentiality. That's what we are for our clients. And I know the Better Business Bureau has a lot of resources available out there. And Jim, is there anything in particular that either an individual or a business should do in order to solidify uh, their place with the Better Business Bureau? I know starting with becoming a member would be probably a very good first step.
0: Yep. well, all our information for businesses and consumers can be found at our website, which is real simple. It's bbb.org. If you're looking for someone to do work for you near your house, if you're looking for a quality business, or if you're a business person, you want to learn some more about what it would be like to be a trustworthy business and be in a community of integrity uh, and what that means, you can contact us. It's something that we really believe in to the depth of our core. And in this day and age in society, if you can say you're promoting trust anywhere and increasing trust in our society, uh, we're very proud to have that role. And we just hope that we can really uh, help build that trust because it's definitely needed everywhere today.
1: Absolutely. We're meeting with Jim Temer, president and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Wisconsin. We're talking about identity theft and a number of other areas that you can take ownership in terms of your life to try to avoid falling into some of the pitfalls and or educate your loved ones and family members. Um, Jim, I had a question around if somebody either has something that occurred to them or they want to report a business or, or something in the area. What steps um, and considerations as well should that individual take, and while they're thinking through that process, should they take that step forward? And-
0: well, if, you, if you've lost money in a scam, you can contact the police department. That's the first thing you should do. An insurance company, credit card company, anyone involved, if you want to report that scam to the BBB, you go to our scam tracker and you can do that. Even if it was an attempted scam and you didn't lose money, we take all that information again and it's compiled and other people can learn from that. The uh, officials can take a look at that, law enforcement can take a look at that. So we really encourage people to report to BBB Scam Tracker. But again, you can report to anyone that you think is gonna help you if you've lost money. And if you, again, got taken advantage of your credit card or bank statement, contact the bank, contact the credit card. Um, Unfortunately, people do lose a lot of money out there and that's what we wanna do is try and prevent that.
1: Absolutely. and I seen a few examples where I did a little research for some clients, just, you know, they wanted to put their money pointed in a direction. And it's like, you know what, I've seen the work that your organization does around the due diligence piece, because even if a business has a claim against it, you don't just put it out there and it stays, right? You you do some due diligence around it, bet it out, make sure it's legitimate and have you know, some sort of uh, resolution, if there is a resolution come into play is what my findings are.
0: Right. Our, we take also, you know, complaints on legitimate businesses and reviews on legitimate businesses, not just scammers. And our uh, reviews, we actually do research on and we legitimate. So it's not that you can come up there and come up with fake reviews or hire someone to write a thousand reviews and put them on the BBB site. Uh, we've got algorithms at work and programs. We try and prevent a lot of that stuff from happening. We double check with business owners to see that there was actually a relationship there. And with complaints, people are really familiar with the BBB for complaints. But we feel so strongly that you could be an accredited business for 40 years, and if you don't answer complaints, we will revoke your membership. Because I'm not saying that whoever complains is correct, but you at least have to give them a response. When small business people talk to me all the time about their online reputation, and people make complaints against them, or they have a bad review. I said, it doesn't make you bad if you have somebody upset with you. I mean, maybe it was raining out or they had a bad day, whatever it is. It's how you respond to that negativity that matters. You know, you still want to respect that person. You never want to be slamming them. Address the situation. You know, Maybe somebody in your company didn't have the best day either. But always treat people with respect and dignity and you'll be fine.
1: That's wonderful advice, Jim. Thank you so much for sharing that information and also the good work that you and your organization does on behalf of individuals and businesses alike. Again, Jim Temer is the president and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Wisconsin. And for any additional information or support, questions, all kinds of resources, please visit www.bbb.org. Jim, thank you once again for being our guest today on our show.
0: It's really my pleasure, Jamie. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much. Money Sense airs on Saturdays from 2 to 3 p.m. and on Sundays from 12 to 1 p.m. If you like today's show and want to learn more, please visit www.ellenbecker.com or call us at 262-691-3200. As always, we hope that we've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen.